What's it like when one of your friends on death row is led away to be executed? You have a prepaid call from William A. Aguirre. An inmate at the California State Prison, San Quentin. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. I had to be a different, complete guy, which the guy who walked walkways of San Quentin death row and without a gang, without a group of people around, it was just me. Soon after you went into to be on death row, and you didn't really understand the prison workout system so much. But then you said, we're going to do 75 sets of it. To me, that seems extreme. So I'm wondering if there's a danger of overtraining, wearing yourself out, so that you're... No, no, that's actually funny. That's funny. I'll tell you why. That's a good one, man. I'll tell you why. Look, I don't know how many sets I Welcome to Death Row Diaries, the only podcast hosted live from Death Row. I'm Matt Ralston. This call and your telephone number will be monitored and recorded. And I'm William Nagero. Bill, the West Memphis Three, this is a really famous case. This is arguably one of the most notorious cases of possible false accusation. This involves the whole satanic panic. Uh, these kids listen to heavy metal. They must be murderers, that type of thing. I There still is some doubt, which we'll get into, but I don't, I don't think it's very pronounced from people who have followed the case in detail. So, West Memphis, Arkansas, 1993, three eight-year-old boys, Steve Branch, Michael Moore and Christopher Byers are missing and eventually found murdered. And three teenage boys are convicted and sentenced for that crime. Long story short, it took me a while to get there. But this is a pretty uh, complicated case, right? Yeah, this case is a perfect example of what you should not be doing in a, in a murder case. And, and I'll explain further. As you mentioned, the West Memphis Three is a famous case. Damien Eccles is the 18 year old, and you have two other juveniles uh, involved in the incident, uh, Jason Baldwin, as well as uh, the youngest, which is a kid by the name of McKelly, or Miss Kelly. And it's just, this case just mind blew me because of what they did. So you're right. On May the 5th, 1993, three eight-year-old children, boys, were reported missing. There was a massive hunt for them. And the following day on May the 6th, they're discovered in a like river creek bed. And it's really the canal. And it leads to a drainage ditch. And there is where they find the three boys. Uh, they're found naked. They are hog-tied, and their clothes were kind of dipped into the water and sunk so people couldn't find it. Um, you know, this, it shocked people, but right away, from the very beginning, there was a lot of speculation. This is a small place. They don't have the most trained law enforcement officers, so they just made a blunder of mistakes. And remember, this is 1993. DNA collection, which is so important, the collection of the forensic 
evidence is crucial. These clowns didn't know what they were doing. And I know we don't jump on law enforcement doing things wrong or right, but in this case, it was just, just idiotic moves they pulled. Incompetency, uh, irresponsibility, it just, they had a crime scene and they didn't analyze the crime scene and said, okay, what does this crime scene tell us? They did the opposite. They found a suspect and then shoved them into the crime scene, which is the opposite. So yeah, this is really bad case. First and foremost, three children lost their lives in a horrible manner. And it really upset the community. So they went out for a witch hunt. Yeah, so I guess following the investigation, they have... You know, they interview a lot of people and they have a few suspects. Um, if you want to speak on that, two of them were just local drug dealers and they were just suspects because they left town shortly after the murders. And I, I think they were, Correct. you know, didn't, didn't have anything to do with it. But then there's also a description of a black man and th they never found the guy, right? Well, yes, during the investigation, Chris Morgan and Brian Holland, they had left the vicinity, they were drug dealers or drug users, or both, and they went to Oceanside, California. The West Memphis Police Department found them there, they were taken into custody and they were given polygraph tests. Those polygraph tests showed that they, there was deception in what they were talking about, their alibis, that they had nothing to do with it. At one point, one of the kids, which is Chris Morgan and Brian Holland, they, one of them confessed that they actually had done it and then they recanted the testimony. They took urine samples, they took DNA from them, and the case went away. They either were excluded or they just forgot about them. There was an incident where a black man was seen at a Bojangles restaurant. He was bloodied, um, he smeared blood on the walls, and the police were called, they took swabs of the blood, but the cops lost, the, they lost the sample. I mean, that is just complete incompetency, and they never found the guy. But let me, let me say that I don't believe that black man that was had blood on him would look like a homeless guy I don't believe he did this the reason I don't believe he did it was because blood doesn't stay wet like in horror movies for 17 hours or the following day if you've become involved with killing somebody and you're walking around town the blood dries your hands you're not going to leave smear marks these were probably wounds that he had on his hand for whatever reason he looked suspicious it's West Memphis, for God's sakes. It's a black man, so hey, it must be him. That type of stuff. However, of course, nothing came of it because they lost the sample and the guy disappeared. Let me call back. Yeah, so a homeless person, often they have blood on them because uh, they're you know, doing mentally ill things. So that's... You know, that, that's not that much of a smoking gun. I didn't realize that they got confessions out of the druggy guys. 
but that would speak to the fact that they're pretty adept at getting false confessions, right? Yeah, the guy, the kid Morgan, he said that he may have killed boys, but then he recanted. So yeah, that, that is exactly right. You know, teenage boys don't have a lot of experience with law enforcement, want to please their people who are interrogating them, and sometimes they recant, or the, I mean, I'm sorry, they, they confess the things that they never did just to have the interrogation stop. It's one of the reasons that lawyers tell both adults and kids if they get arrested, shut the hell up, because you know, law enforcement is going gonna to twist your arm to you to end it. You'll, you'll say whatever. And we'll get into that. So, regarding the victims, the children were found and obviously they're all killed. They had multiple injuries. They had lacerations to various parts of the body. Specifically, Christopher. He not only had lacerations to his body, but there, his genitalia was mutilated. The children died of multiple injuries, including drowning. Um, it was just a bad scene. So, very early on in this investigation, there's a lot of factors coming into the play that never should have. And that is that people began to talk right away. Somebody mentioned satanic ritual. That became, and it was linked to the press, that these kids were murdered because of satanic rituals. So immediately people are looking for, they turning around in black, probably goth paint on. It's just the wrong type of mindset. And then, really what goes crazy is, there's a woman by the name of Vicki Hutchinson. And right around the time of the murders, she's brought into question because they believe she may have stolen or embezzled some money from her employer. Her son, Aaron, is there running around making a ruckus. And when they're about to charge her because she, they found that she was deceptive in her, in her, in her lie detector test. And a lot of people did lie detector test. I don't know why, because they're inadmissible. But regardless, her son mentioned that he knew who killed the kids, that they were his friends, and that he was there when it happened. Of course, all the police focused on this kid's, what this guy said. He said that they, they had been killed in the playhouse. And when he was questioned more about it, he said it was committed by Satanists who spoke Spanish. So at this point, now they have an eyewitness, according to the police department. And they go nuts looking for people. And of course, around this time, they're looking for people that don't belong. It happens that Eccles, you know, he's one of those guys. He, he kind of dresses in black. He, he, has, you know, he likes cultism. He listens to ACDC, so he's obviously a bad guy. And they start focusing on these kids, all three of them, Jesse Miskelly, Eccles, and of course, Jason Baldwin. They're just different. They don't fit in that community. As I said, it mentioned business in the rock. They weren't great friends, but they knew each other. Um, they didn't do well in school. They had prior arrests for vandalism, petty theft, just stuff that kids do. And it wasn't long till they got 
this kid, Jesse Miss Kelly, to be interviewed on June the 3rd. Now, mind you, Matt, this kid is 17 years old. He's being interviewed and interrogated by police. There's no parent there. There's no lawyer there. And he has a 72 IQ. Now, I'm going to call for what it is. The kid's borderline retarded, okay? I know that's not politically correct, but that's the truth. Because if you look at the bigger picture, having a 72 IQ, he is in the top 6 percentile. Well, actually, the bottom 6 percentile on intelligence. That means that 94% of the population are smarter than this guy, have a higher IQ than this guy. And what do police do? They stick him in a room for 12 hours and they interrogate him. Four hours in, he begins to confess that he's scared, but yes, he was involved in it. He saw these guys doing it. It was Eccles, it was uh, Baldwin, and the story begins to come. So at four hours, he starts to confess. It goes for another eight-hour interview of those 12 hours, only 46 minutes are recorded. You tell me why. Why wasn't the entire interview recorded only but, but 46 minutes? Because they start the recording after they've coerced and intimidated the guy and lied to him about what evidence they have. Uh, but most importantly, you know, say things like... Uh, well, you know, tell us what happened or else we're going to punch you in the nose. That's exactly right. And they pressured him, they pressured him, and they pressured him. Until he so, of course, you know, he does say that he confessed because he was intimidating, he was coerced. But immediately, law enforcement leaked it to the press. Cold killing and all this stuff is happening. So... Right after the confession, or shortly after, they arrest Eccles and Baldwin. And they begin to work on them. So Eccles, who was 18 at the time, you know, not the perfect guy, but they hit him with a polygraph. And the examiner states that he may, it looks like there's indications of deception. We can't tell you what part is deceptive, but these being deceitful. During a formal interview, Eccles then indicates that, you know, one of the victims had wounds to the genitalia. That immediately raised a huge flag. And then he states that he can see how someone would want to control the kids as the killing's going on. And those are very incriminating things. They were looking for a killer. And this guy fit what they believe should be what a killer looks like. So they arrest him and Baldwin and Miss Kelly and charge him with the murders of the three children. A couple follow-ups here. So did the police, uh, very sinisterly, did they focus on the dumb guy because they thought they'd have a better chance with him first? Well, they didn't know what... Yeah, they didn't know what they were looking for. They didn't know that Echo's name or Baldwin's name was going to come up. That came later. But, I mean, you have to understand, 
they had a dupe. They knew this guy would crack. You, you know, law enforcement knows when they got a kid that looks suspicious and acting kind of weird. Maybe he's got something that's work on him. And early on, he starts mentioning he may know something. They hear that, they're going to go after him. These are small-time, you know, law enforcement. They've never had a case of this magnitude. So, of course, everything that comes out, and the worst part was the leaking. They leaked evidence constantly to the press. The satanic, uh, it was these three guys. It was a ritual for a satanic thing. These guys were listening to ACDC, so they're obviously killers. It just, they just went on and on leaking things. So, and it just, it was bad. So, on the timeline, because the, um, one of the victims, you know, had his, uh, penis like mutilated right so there's a couple things so Nichols in his interrogation a if you're talking for four or five hours you say so many things and then you know a lot of times they'll pick the one thing that you said when you could have just been rambling especially if you're a teenager you feel as though you you have to keep talking and they kind of force you to keep talking even though you can leave but uh did a so how would he have known that? Could he have known that from the press, or could that just be a coincidence? Because that seems pretty suspicious, don't you think? Absolutely. And I'm not going to say whether these kids are innocent or guilty. I'm gonna, again, towards the end, I want to give you reasons why I believe they're guilty and why I believe their reasons are they're innocent. But they said a lot of things. Those kids really dug their own hole. Echoes at one point, after saying that the genitalia was mutilated, he also spoke about... Um, why he believes someone would want to kill a kid like that. And then on top of that, his mental health, he had once written out in his own words also to get disability, said that he had uh, delusions, um, he saw things that were there, he thought he gained superpowers from drinking uh, human blood and he got superpowers because of it. These are stuff that Cops love to hear, and when they heard that kind of stuff, they really focused on these kids and pushed everything they could. But like I said, they didn't focus on anybody else, they just focused on these kids, and they kind of dug their own grave. Now, the crime scene itself, there was really no evidence that tied the case to these three boys, these three teenagers. Um, however, the prosecution said that the genitalia was mutilated with a knife, that the person who killed the kids did this. The defense said, look, there's a lot of snapping turtles in these canals. The snapping turtles and the wildlife probably did this. Well, look, I'm not an expert at turtles, but I know that if the turtles are there, they would have taken a finger, they would have taken other things, not just the genitalia and only of one child. That doesn't make a lot of sense. I believe the defense used that to lessen the blow of what kind of kids are on trial here. That you first have to humanize them. So if you can take away the horror of, of chopping up a kid's genitalia, it doesn't make them as bad. I believe that's the defense was thinking. I, I, you know, I really think the killer did do it that way. It wasn't a snappy turtle and those are the type of things. You really didn't have good lawyers in this situation. You did not. The prosecution was already dead set on what they wanted to do, and they had their three guys. And they were going to go after them no matter what. 
So do you think one of the biggest mistakes investigators made was taking the interview interrogation with, with this dummy too seriously? Did they investigate people close to the victims, you know, families and uh, family uh, friends and, you know, anyone with a motive? I mean, we'll get to it later. A lot of times step parents kill their children. They're not real happy that the person they're banging has children. They elect to kill them. Uh, did they factor in any of this or did they really just hone in on the three, uh, West Memphis three? Well, they, 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 they concentrated on the three teenagers because in their minds, the inexperience that the law enforcement had, they thought cult killing, satanic guys, ACDC, they dress in black, must be the killers. That is basically the ignorant mind frame they took to start this case. Any place like the Idaho murder, the FBI, and these other agencies, they would have thrown a larger net to try and really look at the crime scene and let the crime scene speak to them. These guys, they didn't do none of that. They had a suspect and they fit him into the crime scene which was a travesty of justice, and when I come back, I'll tell you why. Amen. By the way, real quick, ACDC in the mid-90s, wasn't that on, like, classic rock radio? I mean, you had, in that period, uh, rappers, you know, talking about their drug dealers, how to uh, cook crack cocaine, let's talk about my murder count, uh, Snoop Dogg, his whole thing is he was a pimp. He liked to smack women around. ACDC were like horny dudes from Australia. Like, I don't even understand the real controversy here. Well, the big word is ignorance. <laughs> we're talking about the Arkansas, for God's freaking sakes. These are people, and this is 1993, where they're, uh, they're a bit, you know, uh, they're conservative. I mean, I'm looking for the word... These people in this town are, they don't see these type of murders. They don't see this type of lifestyle. So everybody in this town dressed a certain way. They spoke a certain way. They're good, good, you know, salt of the earth people. Now they got echoes over here running around in black, you know, putting goth makeup on, running around town saying he's a Satanist. Um, he's a petty thief. He's done vandalism. Um, the other kid has gotten in some fights. These kids are rebellious. They, 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 they dropped out of school. So, of course, hey, they stick out like sore thumbs. Yeah, ACDC, the bunch of dudes from freaking Australia. But, I mean, you also know that in the 80s, what are we talking about? Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, guy dresses in black, looks like this type of guy, Satanist. He listens to what? ACDC. So you see how the people that are ignorant hear this stuff in some town in Arkansas, I'm like, my God, yes. Those people from LA are all like that. You know, Satanists are all murderers. They sacrifice kids. Yeah. So this is the, the, the golden age of, of B-movies where every Satanist dressed in black and killed children. So you got to understand what they were thinking, but that makes no excuses for law enforcement. They made huge mistakes. You don't leak things to the press in order to convict the person in a trial. So that is huge. So this whole case, 
first and foremost, and again, this is 1993, so a lot of things about these kind of murders are not known in that part of the country. So, especially a small police department who are, you know, basically ignorant to all these things. So the first thing I would have done coming to the crime scene is I would have allowed it to speak to me. I would have taken detailed photographs of everything, and I would have looked for footprints, how many footprints, because I would have told you how many people were involved. I don't know if they did that. They probably saw the kids, they trampled into the jump, they tried to save them, they're already dead, and there was a million footprints everywhere, and half the evidence was ruined right then and there. But the big thing here, and it's the, the category that I have, I have two categories, one for innocence and one for guilty. And I like to kind of give you a bit of what I believe happened here in terms of were they innocent or guilty and then we can go back over the case and we can talk about the specifics about maybe who may have done it. So let's do that. So first of all, let's talk about the reasons why, um, what suggests they did do it, okay? So here we go, here's my list. What makes them look guilty is of course, Miss Kelly's confession. Uh, you know, there's a lot of incriminating stuff there. Lack of alibi, low IQ, he had a job, so he was functional. So why would he lie? Why would he make up this thing to put himself in harm's way? And he also, eight months later, he reconfessed again, stating that he did do it and that his friends were involved in it. Okay. Jason Baldwin, we know that he's the one we know least about. He has no alibi whatsoever. He can't produce one where he was at. Eccles, he spoke to why someone would kill kids like this. And that the victims are easy to control. And he talked about mutilation to the genitalia. That's bad. He had mental health issues. He believed that he, had, he was possessed by a demon. Uh, he, was, he got superpowers from drinking human blood. He lied about his familiarity with that area. That was a lie. Everybody knew he knew that area. He said he didn't. That was a lie. He was seen with mud all over him the day of the murder. And I put a big question mark behind that. Who was the person who said it? His alibi was not real. He bragged to people that he did it. There was a knife found in the pond underneath, the, uh, behind his home. And they said that the shape of the knife itself may have been the shape of something on one of the victims. Again, I crossed that out. They found blue wax that matched wax at, at Eccles' house that belonged to his girlfriend on the victims. Okay, that's a lot there, okay? But man, I mean, I don't know about you, but there seems to be enough there to take a good hard look at these kids. Yeah, I, I wouldn't put a lot of faith into the knife wound matching the knife. I think that's all bullshit. For the most part, and, and, unless it's fairly obvious. Um, but a lot of these experts are just fakes. Uh, the mud thing, if that was true, that would be pretty huge. But why do you question the veracity of that statement? Well, because, yeah, because witness, you know, they saw him, he, he had run through a field, got some mud on him. Oh, yeah, it was the day they murdered. It happened three weeks before that. Ah, eyewitnesses are really, are real sketchy for me. I've heard eyewitnesses say the guy was, uh, you know, wearing a blue t-shirt and he was standing on a freaking trampoline and the guy was wearing a black t-shirt and he was wearing a bicycle. So, yeah, I don't put too much stock on people in towns like this who are trying to say something. Because remember, there's also a $35,000 reward put out. And Vicky, Vicky Hutchison, 
the girl who I said, her son Aaron said that they saw what happened. Well, first and foremost, she admitted she lied because she wanted that money that they were offering. Her kids' testimony was completely made up. She got everything wrong. So, and that's one of the reasons that I want to talk about what makes them look innocent. And here's the biggest one, first and foremost. The nature of the crime, the sexual component of the crime, is usually by one male killer that dominates his victims and is usually an organized killer. That's not three freaking teenagers. One of them is half retarded. And I hate to say it, but this is a trip. Try to break it down and make it as, as easily understood as possible. The crime does not fit the profile of three teenagers. It does not in any way, shape, or form. That should have clued that police department that, hey, we're looking at the wrong guys. We need to throw a bigger net out there. Okay, so that's number one. Now, number two, here's a big deal. And it's this huge, Miss Kelly did confess to the murders. But here's the problem with the murders that he confessed to. He said it happened at 12 in the day. We know it happened at night. So that's number one. How do you get that wrong? That should have told the cops right away, this guy's lying. Number two, he said they used rope to tie the kids. We know that's untrue. They used shoelaces. He said the kids were raped. We know they were not raped. So those inconsistencies, that, that it was at the day, it actually happened at night, that they used rope, no, it was shoelaces, they were raped, no, they weren't raped. Those are tall tale signs that this kid was trying to please the cops and was making this stuff up. You can't, you don't fake that. Well, it happened at 12 midnight. No, it really happened in broad daylight. That's a big, big, big problem for me. So that's the big one. Then, of course, you have, so, of course, the confession must match the crime. Here, it did not. Um, and you have to find a suspect that matches the crime, not find a crime and then try and match someone to it. They did all that wrong. Um, they just dropped the ball. So those are the reasons that I believe that these kids may be innocent. There's an argument for both sides, and there seems to be a bigger list for why they should be guilty. But what I mentioned before, these, the confessions, how they were completely wrong, how they focused on the wrong kids, that is bigger. It's a bigger mountain as to why these kids are actually innocent. And of course, we know what happened. They convicted all three of them. One of them, Eccles got the death penalty. The other two got life plus a number of years in prison. And the Supreme Court of that state, now in the 2000s, when they know about DNA, they test the DNA that was found on the crime scene. And here's what they discovered. That the majority of DNA, meaning blood, was in fact the victims. But there was DNA unknown to, uh, unknown to the police for who the DNA belonged to. So you have three people suspect, and they're the ones that supposedly did it, and there's other DNA there, that is a big problem for me. Whose DNA is on there? So the Supreme Court reversed the, the conviction and ordered them retried. So what does the DA do? The DA goes to the media and says, these are the guys that did it. 
all the mumbo-jumbo and DNA stuff, this hocus-pocus stuff, and they're guilty. However, he understood that once that was introduced into a trial, that they would not convict these kids. So he offered them what's called an Alfred plea, but there was a catch. They had to, all three of them had to admit and come together for the Alfred plea, not just one. And of course, Echo was on death row awaiting execution. So they finally said, okay, so here's what they confessed. They confessed that they acknowledged the DA's office probably has enough to convict them on. But they're maintaining their innocence, and that's what an alpha plea is about. So they acknowledge that it's possible they can convict me again. But I maintain my innocence, and I plea out, they get time served, but they, all three of them have to admit to this, they cannot sue the state either for mishandling and screwing up this investigation, and they're placed on 10 years suspended sentence. So if they do something else, they'll be sent to prison immediately for 10 years. That's how they got out. Um, the DA doesn't admit any fault, and they don't admit really that they're guilty. It's kind of a unique halfway kind of deal. Yeah. Well, now my, my head is just spinning with all kinds of thoughts on this. So let me, let me say a few things, and you just pick whatever you think is the most valid. If, if none of this makes any sense, just let me know. Uh, Miss Skelly, weird, shifty guy, don't know what to make of him. He he never talks uh, on any of the documentaries or anything, or, or very rarely, I should say. So he, he's not really giving much. Um in, in, as far as stating that he's innocent, I just don't know anything about him. The other two guys, Eccles and uh, Baldwin, are pretty outspoken, and Miss Kelly is not. Okay, you said with a, a crime like this, it's usually a single guy, and that there's a sexual motivation, but could the skinning of the kid's private parts, could that be the sexual motivation? Lastly, you know, Eccles was into the occult. I'm not saying that, that people that study Wiccan and, and like, you know, goth things are, are murderers for the most part. They're not. But, you know, he was pretty into it. And it's, it's not far off base that maybe he wanted to do a satanic ritual. Like you said, he said he enjoyed drinking blood. Lastly, don't little kids have all kinds of DNA all over them because they're just dirty and people rub spitting on their wounds and things like that? Now that well, the DNA part. This was blood DNA, or um, you know, male freaking. Uh, I'm always sort of looking for male when it comes to uh, DNA from a male like after he ejaculates. I don't know. Anyways, the, the, the sexual component, they're naked, they're hogtied. That is that can be in itself the fetish, and that is the fetish that developed from a person much older than a 16, 17, or 18 year old kid. The tying up that that bothers me. That is usually a component dealing with a sexual predator who's very experienced. That he didn't rape tells me even more because guys that don't rape are actually older because they masturbate when they watch and they see what they're doing. BTK is a big uh, one of the, his first family killed four people and at the end he hung the, uh, the, the, the child, the girl, from, a, from the neck and masturbated as she choked to death. This is a fetish that an older person Develop, not kids. Let me call back. 
So the DNA, the male DNA, we all understand that euphemism. Uh, they, uh, th this did not match any of the West Memphis three. And that was the reason pretty much for the post conviction relief hearing. And now it has not been matched to anyone as of yet. Correct. Correct. But of course we're developing new techniques and we've seen it now with the Idaho murders. They, they match the DNA of actually the father of the guy and with, because he's not in CODIS. Most people convicted of a crime for sexual crime or for any crime to after, the, after I believe 2003, as soon as you're arrested, they take your DNA. Um, but let's say the guy did not get ever caught and he is running free. They could put that DNA now into new banks for genealogy and they can come back with a match with a familiar, a person associated or related to the person and then we can get a match that way. I'm sure at some point they're going to do it. I don't know why they haven't already, but maybe they are doing it. So that's a big problem for me because none of the DNA found matched the Memphis 3. So if, you know, they're, they're excluded because it's not their DNA. And what do you want from me, right? That's a big problem for me. And, and the DA re re uh, recognized it. He knew they couldn't convict these guys. It would be impossible. And they had a number of celebrities that were behind it, including Oprah Winfrey and a bunch of people were behind these three boys. And I say boys because they were 16, 17, and 18, or, or two 17-year-olds and an 18-year-old. Those are kids. And you're right. He was into the occult. He believed in drinking blood. But that doesn't make him guilty. You know, should you take a look at him? Absolutely. But there's another person involved in this case that they did take a look at, and, and there's been documentaries about it, and it's Terry Hobbs, one of the uh, children, the three that were murdered, their stepfather. And they found in one of the knots a hair or DNA that matched him. How does the DNA or hair of Terry Hobbs get inside one of the knots that the children were tied? The children were always also tied by three different knots. So it suggested there was probably two or more murders. And I, I understand how that would be something people would believe. However, understanding sexual predators the way I do and understanding serial killers and their methods and their methodology, I also understand that they like a, different, uh, they like a, a difference between each victim. And it could be the person was familiar that he was familiar with knots. Therefore, he tied each kid with a different knot. Just so in his mind, remember we talked about signature before, Matt? That signature isn't the MO. Signature is what he does. It's like a baseball player when he comes to the plate. He begins to fidget with his glove. He taps his head twice. He scratches his freaking left knee, and then he bats. It's not necessary for him to do that to hit the ball, but in his mind, it helps along. It's what gets him to that place. Serial killers are similar. The signature in this would be that one of them was mutilated, the other two were tied up, or all three were tied up, in the hog-type position. That's a sexual predator. That's what that is right there. And that is the tall signs of one who was operating in that area. Now, he could have moved on. We've talked about a number of serial killers that kill, and they move on to a different place. They never come back. They're on a train. They're hobos. They're transients. There's a lot of things that happen here 
that I would have to see the crime scene out of the study of the photos to know more about this particular killer. So, I haven't really heard this mentioned. I'm, I'm sure it has been, but you have to pay special attention to the boy who who was sexually um, mutilated, I guess. Um, that's something personal, potentially personal with that child, as opposed to the other two who may have just been with them or whatever, right? Correct. Why was he the one picked up? Was he different than the other boys? Was he blonde as opposed to the ones or two were, were, were brunette? Was he taller? There's a lot of, look, there is no perfect methodology to character. Each one is different. But you have to analyze all of it. And look, they're all three or eight years old. Somehow he had to, there had to be a difference between them for him. He tied them all up with different knots, but he put them in a hog tie position. That is dominance, that is control. That, but some serial killers sexualize the control factor. So you have to look at all of these factors to look for the perpetrator. What they did, is, they did the opposite. They had no idea what they're doing. And my big question is, Terry Hobbs, why was that hair there? I would have to look more into it. I'm not saying he's guilty. I'm saying there is enough evidence here for them to take a real look at him. Just like there was enough to take a look at Eccles, as well as some other kids. There's enough to look at. But that's when you start excluding people because of inconsistencies in what's being said and what they're looking at. They did not do that in this case. And now you have three men now that are out and they haven't reoffended. Remember we've talked about this before, Matt. I told you, look, you can't rehabilitate a serial killer. You cannot rehabilitate a sexual predator because that's what they do. They're built that way. They're wired that way. And it isn't about sex. It's about control. It's about violence. So you can castrate a rapist and he will continue to try and rape because it's in his mind. These three if they had been responsible for these murders, they would have reoffended, and they didn't. Not one of them has done anything that would suggest, oh, hell, it was them. Uh -huh. That's why there's a huge question mark there. I can't tell you if they're innocent or not. Which way do I lean? <sighs> the evidence tells me it's not them. But I can't tell you for sure. So, when I was watching the documentary Paradise Lost, it did bring me back. Because, like you said, this was a, a celebrity cause. I remember being, uh, I guess, in, in like 1995, I was 12 years old. And I remember a friend of mine who whose family went to church. And he said that ACDC means after Christ, devil comes. And I remember thinking, well, I've seen my parents' stereo, and I've actually, like, messed with the cables that say ACDC, and given that they're rock musicians, they're probably referring to, like, an audio component, but, <laughs> and then I, I, uh, my first year of college in the year 2000, I went to a Pearl Jam concert, and, and during that concert, Eddie Vedder pulled you know, took his shirt off and he was wearing a free the West Memphis three shirt. And that's really the first time I'd heard of this case or of any like wrongful conviction case. It just, none of that was 
anything I'd ever considered before that people were in prison for for something they didn't do. But watching the movie, Byers was the boy that was singled out uh, for for that you know for the for the mutilating and his stepfather. I don't know if the documentary plays into this. You know, anytime there's a subject that's willing to go on camera a lot and sort of enjoys that for whatever reason, they kind of become a suspect. But this guy, I kind of like this guy. Not, I wouldn't want to hang out with him, but he's he's this big dude. He looks like a professional wrestler. He's kind of scary looking, and he's like he shows up to all the events with big picket signs saying the West Memphis Three are murderers and all this stuff and. And he made all these videos where he was like shooting pumpkins and beer cans and like saying that he was shooting the West Memphis three, like kind of naming each pumpkin after each of the three is, it's very weird. But I start thinking, well, he's the stepfather of the, of the kid that was singled out. He wants them to be guilty because, you know, then, because if they're guilty, they're not looking for any other suspects. Turns out, I don't, I don't think that guy's guilty at all, but he is weird enough that it made me think, you know, he could have done something, but a lot of people are just weird, you know? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, no, he's he's a jackass, is what he is. And I think he, he liked a little bit of celebrity, and he liked doing all this stuff, his antics and stuff, immature antics. But it's um, it happens. People do that stuff, uh, whether it's for grief or for whatever reason. Uh, in today's day, they would arrest us and put him in prison for, for freaking terrorism and everything because you can't put a pumpkin up and put a person's face on it and shoot and say that's that person because that's a threat. If you do that today, they would arrest his ass and his monkey ass would be in prison somewhere for making threats against free citizens who are not guilty of these crimes. Or at least well, I think it was. Chance. I think it was while they were still in prison, so maybe that's a. A loophole. That's probably why he's toned down his. That's probably why he's toned down <laughs> his rhetoric. But yeah, I mean, look, that's an idiot born every day. I always say this, but that's a moron born every day. That guy, he's moron with a capital and jackass right below it. So with Hobbs, the stepfather of Moore, why is he? I mean, what's his status as a suspect? I know we touched on it, but uh, they found a hair there and. Yeah, they left it alone. I, I haven't seen anything that would suggest they pick up the investigation. DA's office pretty much said the West Memphis three are the guilty party. We have enough to convict them, but we're going to just go. And they've left it at that. The case is cold. What they according to them, they have their their three. Those are the guys that did it. They did the time for it. The one was given the death penalty, and because of the technicality, they got out. That's their position. So there's no investigation going on. That's probably why they haven't matched that DNA that's been missing or that they found with a missing suspect that they don't know who it is. Well, here's the problem. And this this parallels really close a case that I'm real familiar with, which is that of the Fairbanks Four. And I did a podcast on that called Murder on Ice, which I believe is being turned into a TV show. But we'll wait on that. 
but once people are convicted, the authorities have no motivation, even if they, in, in their own private moments, doubt you know, whether these people are actually guilty. They have no motivation to find who actually did it. Uh, not to mention, they do not want <laughs> these guys. There's a reason that they you know, make them say they're still guilty while letting them out of prison. First of all, if you really think they're guilty, you probably shouldn't be letting them out of prison. I would say that much. But if they admit that they're guilty, they open themselves up to being sued. And so this is a financial incentive to continue pretending that they know without a doubt that they're definitely guilty. And I think it's gross. Well, the Alfred plea allows them to maintain their innocence while admitting and acknowledging that the prosecution does have enough evidence to convict them. That's the catch. So they can't be sued because they are maintaining their innocence while admitting there is enough to probably convict them. That's kind of a little play on words, but it works for both sides, and that's what happened to Memphis 3. It's a kind of sad story, but that pretty much is the case. You're going if you had to bet that it was a serial killer, or you're you're just torn. Well, I know, I know it was a sexual predator. It doesn't match those kids. I don't know if it was a guy who's done it numerous times in the future. I know he did it before. And I, I, I'm willing to bet that he probably didn't do it in only that town. He's moved. He moves for some reason because he left the bodies there. It's not happened again. So I'm leaning towards a sexual predator, probably a, a serial perpetrator that has moved on. So, Bill, I think that I think Nichols kind of likes women. And do you often see like the the woman that he married in prison was pretty good looking, very good looking, very good looking woman. And I, you know, a lot of guys use that cult thing to attract women. Johnny Depp comes to mind. Do you see a lot of crossover with guys that are kind of into the ladies, and then guys that want to like mess with a little boy's penis? Well, that's a good question. And normally, I would say absolutely not. Guys who like girls, they like girls. They don't like little boys. However, you know, Richard Ramirez comes to mind. He liked the ladies. He played the whole cold thing. And a lot of women came to see him. And he really liked the ladies. He's a rapist. But he also raped children. Specifically little boys, too. So I can't say that it never happens. Normally, it doesn't. But there have been cases that guys do cross over to both paths. Right. Well, we'll leave it there until next time. We'll be back next week. Until then, I've been Matt Ralston. And I'm willing to go. Be safe. Be aware of your surroundings. Your life could depend on it.